Hey, it's Justin, and I have a big announcement and personal invitation for you. This May, we're inviting a small group of people to Austin to learn how to grow their wealth tax-free and get access to some of my personal friends and experts in the industry. We did something similar last year, and the feedback was incredible, so we set aside a few tickets for non-Mastermind members to join us for this event. You'll spend some time learning from Garrett Gunderson, the brilliant and hilarious mind behind Money Unmasked, and the New York Times and Wall Street Journal bestselling book, Killing Sacred Cows, and one of my favorite books, What Would the Rockefellers Do? He's going to share his insights on how to grow your assets tax-free with life insurance. And you'll also get some time with Rob Dial, the mastermind behind the Mindset Mentor Podcast, who will share with you how to find fulfillment in success. Then you'll get to participate in a special investment presentation, in-depth discussions, and breakout sessions on two crucial yet often overlooked topics, personalized tax strategies and wealth building. Plus, when you register, you'll have the opportunity to attend a one-day course the day before on vetting deals. If you want to learn our process so that you can make great decisions, there's no better teacher than Hans Box. This is our most requested topic, and it'll be an exceptional course. Seats for the course and the one-day event are limited, so if you're interested, please grab your ticket today. I always say you're just one connection, one decision, and one strategy away from true freedom, and I look forward to helping you on your journey. Head over to lifestyleinvestor.com forward slash live or click the link around this video and secure your ticket now before we sell out. Hope to see you in Austin this May. Once again, that's lifestyleinvestor.com forward slash live. I can't wait to see you there. Now, let's get into today's episode. This episode is a little different than our usual format. Every once in a while, I plan to share a bonus interview with one of our Lifestyle Investor Mastermind members. While we limit the number of people who can join the Lifestyle Investor Mastermind each year, this is your opportunity to get a peek behind the curtain and discover what the smartest investors and entrepreneurs are doing to 10x their wealth and freedom. Let's get into it. Today, as part of the Lifestyle Investor Member Spotlight Series, I'm speaking with Pasha Espandiari. Pasha has been part of our mastermind community for a couple of years now and has brought a ton of wisdom, experience, and opportunities to our community of investors. In this episode, I wanted to chat with him about his investing journey. You'll hear how he transitioned from playing professional poker to building a real estate empire with over $250 million in transactions across multiple asset classes. These include residential homes, boutique motels, large multifamily properties, mobile home parks, and more. You're going to hear why he decided to double down on mobile home parks, how he syndicates deals for investors, his process for managing operations for his real estate business, and the benefits he's gotten from being part of our mastermind community. One more thing before we get to today's interview. If you've been listening to the show and you're wondering what it would be like to connect with other lifestyle investors who are playing at the highest level, investors who are building wealth and freedom on their terms and who are learning and growing together, the Lifestyle Investor Mastermind may be the opportunity you've been searching for. This exclusive group is your chance to build your confidence, skills, network, and portfolio all in one spot. To learn more, visit lifestyleinvestor.com forward slash mastermind. 
To get access to today's show notes, including the best clips, transcripts, and links to all the resources mentioned, visit lifestyleinvestor.com forward slash 162. Thanks for listening. And without further delay, my conversation with Pasha Esfandiari. What's up, Pasha? So good to have you on the show. I'm so excited to be here. It's always great having uh, conversations with you, Justin. Hey, we're going to have some fun. And one thing that I know that is going to be fun for our audience here is your backstory is incredibly fun, but there's so much about you that I resonate with that you are such a great example of someone who's living a life with passion and with purpose. So I'm thrilled to share your story. And I just love interviewing Lifestyle Investor Mastermind members and learning more about them and their story in a way that can benefit the entire community and then the larger Lifestyle Investor community. Well, that's exciting. I'll try not to mess it up. Well, this is the the (laughs) brand new initiative we're rolling out where it's like, hey, let's just feature people in our community because they're impressive. They're cool. Mm -hmm. They're interesting. They've got so much going on. And with many of them, like you, I, I know a lot of your story because through the interview process, I got to know you. We got to meet in person. Mm-hmm. I got to go through your application. I got to read and learn and understand what makes you tick and and how you got to the level of success that you have achieved. So it's fun for me to kind of dive in even deeper. Yeah, it's fascinating. I love when we can dive deep with others and Everyone has such an incredible story. It's never just been easy. And that's the beautiful thing about these podcasts and these member highlights is everyone has a unique story that made them who they are and just so wonderful to dig into. So, Oh, totally. Yeah. So what makes you who you are today? You were not this uh, great, incredible investor. You actually started in a completely different profession. I did. And by the way, maybe there was even a a profession before you became a professional poker player too. (laughs) I mean, other than just the being a server and a professional gamer, not so much. But so it's a unique path. So I always knew being young, I was able to absorb information very well. Concepts really intrigued me. I could pick up things on that very well. But if it didn't invigorate me or make me excited, I just don't want to study. Right. And so uh, college was really, really rough for me. I just knew I couldn't do it. It was too tedious. And I quickly dropped out of college. And at that time, fortunately, my brother, right in that 2004 timeframe, won a big tournament. He won 1.4 million. This is right when poker started to blow up, started getting on TV. And at that time, I, I was a server. I didn't have this grand plan of what I was going to do at that time. And I just realized, hey, if he could do it, well, I could do it. It's just a competitive spirit within us, right? And so I quickly started to play poker and I took the main concepts really well. Play position, be aggressive. And I think because of my childhood, I was able to be very keen on observing humans and patterns. And so at the poker table, that's really all it is. You're just, your patterns will come out in the poker play. And so I was able to really pick up on that and being young, and making the kind of money that I was making up until about 26 years old, it afforded me a lot of freedom. I was making more than most college graduates by far, but that was a really unique path. And I learned a lot, but the lifestyle wasn't for me. The ups and downs wasn't for me. And so around right at that 26 years old, Mark, I just realized, hey, I've always wanted to be in real estate. 
and let me go ahead and take a few steps back from how much I'm making and get into real estate and let me just go learn. And that's what I did. I interned for essentially a family friend of mine for three months at his office, just learned everything I could. And then I went and started flipping my own home sight unseen at the auctions. And then it just kind of started from there. Well, that's a really fun and interesting story. And so I'd love to even get into some of the highs and lows of poker because that's what it is, right? And by the way, I remember Chris Moneymaker making his big debut. And Mm -hmm. I mean, I watched all that. I mean, it was awesome. Yeah. And so many different stars along the way and the Phil Helmuth of the world and the Ivies of the world. And I mean, so many of them, like I had so much fun learning the characters and watching the tournaments, World Series of Poker and oh yeah, all the bracelet tournaments. Yeah, it was it was more exciting back then because people were aggressive. They weren't afraid of making mistakes. It was all more about reading the person. And it's fun and it's glorified, right? On that poker table is is dramatized. But when you're in the everyday grind of it, it's the emotional swings are massive because you can't control short-term results by the luck that happens in the cards. You could all you can control is your decision making time and time again. And so you could really just play your best poker and still lose every single session for months. And it's just, and that's the brutal thing. And you start to question yourself. Am I doing it right? Am I doing this well? And you just keep coming back and you you start to kind of get this like Teflon-like armor where it's like, okay, this doesn't affect me. doesn't affect me. How do I come back stronger? How do I keep coming back stronger? But when you want to create a family and you want to have a healthy lifestyle, poker is not inclusive of that. Like that, it's just, it just wipes you out. It's just not what it is. And I really started to realize if I want to build what I want to build in life, not just monetarily, but with my family and to have children in the future and to have a successful relationship, I really need to start something else that I could build, that I can work on. And that was the reason why I got a poker. But man, Super, super highs, super, super lows, but lots of great lessons. Yeah. And it's interesting that both you and your brother had tremendous success there. And and you got to wonder, like, is some of this genetic? Is is some of this learned? Like, are some people predisposed to reading rooms and reading people? Or is that completely a learned skill? I mean, there's probably nuance to both, right? Yeah, I think it's really tapping into what makes you the best you, okay? There's certain types of, let's say, basketball players, and they're better at one thing. And so when you're playing a poker table, you really just need to maximize what you're good at and minimize what you're bad at, just like in life, right? And I think I've been very fortunate enough that I was able to pick my brother's brain about what to do, and I learned very quickly on what to do. One of the main things my brother would just said to me is basically when you're in doubt, just be aggressive. And at that time when I was playing professionally, everyone was very tight. And so it trained me to see others' patterns and then how can you take advantage of their patterns or their weak spots. And you're always working with incomplete information. But as as, as hard as you do anything, you need to apply yourself. And it's just that mentality. And I think we got that from our father, essentially, about how to work hard, how to get better. And in the poker world, you're surrounded by everybody else who's doing well in poker because they're always learning. And so you just pick it up naturally. Let's read this book. Let's pick this person's brain. And and so that's a quality that I'm really uh, fortunate to have and to take with me into all of my facets of my life. I love it. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. I read a book called Liar's Poker, which is, you know, a pretty famous book that I thought was incredible. 
There are a couple others that came from the poker world that I read that I'm kind of drawing a blank on, but just it's a fascinating world. It's tough because the schedule is not conducive to family life. It's kind of like the entertainment industry, right? Like nights and weekends and long stretches, long games, emotional highs and lows. You and I, we met through our mutual friend, Hans Box, Mm -hmm. and we met here in Austin at Joe's Coffee Shop. Yep. And uh, we sat outside. It was a gorgeous day. And we started talking about travel and living life. And I found out that you plan these really epic trips. And I want to get into some of these. But one of the things that we talked about was, and later we hung out in Jackson Hole at one of these trips. But before we pivot to that experience, I remember you telling me in Jackson Hole, which, by the way, is gorgeous. If anyone hasn't been there, it's, oh, it's put it on incredible. Yeah, it's breathtaking. Even when you land, you land on, on the airport strip and you're literally surrounded by mountains. It's, it's just wonderful. Yeah, it's really just you're looking at this piece of beautiful land. Right. When, when I was landing, too, it just looked like a piece. It was out of the movies. It was like a, something out of the Yellowstone. You're you're so instantly humbled. And that's what the feeling that I got. I was like, wow, these mountains and this scenery is incredible. You know, we don't really get that here in Los Angeles or I'm sure in Austin as well, too. So it was was breathtaking. I was so happy to have you there. Oh, that was so fun. Yeah. And I, I remember a conversation that we had while we were there. And there are a few of them that I remember. But one that really stood out was you had said, you don't like who you have to become in order to win at the poker table. Mm. You don't like how you basically have to make yourself feel and believe that everyone is out to get you and and (laughs) you can't like them. You actually have to dislike them to put yourself (laughs) in the mental framework to be able to beat them. And I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, it's true. I mean, I think if you get to know me, I, I just love people. I, I really enjoy it. And I love people and I love getting to know them. And I, I think everyone is unique. And so I'm just a social person. And I love it. I love, you know, bringing people together. And when I'm at the poker table, your natural tendencies want to come out. But if I was to play my best a game poker, I would have to tell myself, everyone here's my enemy. I don't like them. I'm going to find patterns. I essentially have to trick myself to get mad and angry, right? So that I can have more adrenaline go to my brain so I can be more focused. And that's the way I played my best poker. I wasn't talking to anyone. I was essentially in my mind working myself up. But that's not a good state to be in physically. That's not fun for me. I don't like that whatsoever. And and that weighs on you, right? It's it's kind of like just this lifestyle investor. Do I want my lifestyle for the rest of my life is to play poker and take other people's money while I have to be angry? internally to do well? No, it's like the opposite of what I want to do. And so there's so many different reasons why I got out of poker and I'm really happy about it. And but it was it was awesome while I was in it. And so I've taken so many beautiful lessons from it. But no one I mean, I don't want to be angry while playing (laughs) poker, right? Like that's no fun. Right. And what's great is and I honor you for making the the tough decision. And maybe it wasn't that tough, but it's my experience, at least, and what I hear from people I've worked with, that it's it's often tough to walk away from something you're good at, something that you make good money at. So yep. it's a brave move to like get out of your comfort zone, do something that you don't know as well, where the income is 
questionable. Like, you know, other people that have done well, <laughs> but there's a ramp up. Like, it's right. not like you're just going to step in and make a whole bunch of money. And and it's certainly not like you're going to step in and all of a sudden you're going to replace your poker winnings. Like, it, it no. doesn't work that way. It's a slower process. So nice job making that move. It really is. It's kind of funny because the first flip that I did, you know, thinking about it now, I made $3,000 net after everything. That's before taxes also. But that was easily one bluff or one bet or or just one call on the poker table per night. And like, But like you said, I had the bigger vision in place. And so I knew that 10 years from now, that's going to be a different story. But even though I, I made 3000 I I caught the bug. And so mm-hmm. then it was just like, all right, let's go. Let's Let's see what else I can do. Do you love the podcast and the book and wonder what the next step should be on your lifestyle investor journey? For a limited time, my team is doing free personalized consultation calls to learn more about your goals and determine which of our courses or masterminds will help you get to the next level. Whether that's to make your first investment or to create your first income stream of passive income, or whether that's to achieve ultimate financial freedom. If you'd like to reserve a spot, head over to lifestyleinvestor.com forward slash consultation to book a free strategy session while they're still available. Again, that's lifestyleinvestor.com forward slash consultation. When you were rewarded for honoring your values, like you were, you had clarity on what was important to you, what you wanted life to look like, like who you wanted to be, how you wanted to live. And and when you have that clarity, it becomes much easier to pivot and move away from something that is known into something that's unknown. And I'm sure, by the way, that reading people and all the things that you had to do to be successful in poker has come in pretty darn handy on the investment side of things. Am I right? It's definitely helped. I, I really genuinely feel blessed for the way I'm able to look at things and how to really essentially plan out what I'm going to do. Negotiations have always been really well for me. Um, so I take a lot of lessons from poker into what I do now in real estate investing, for sure. Yeah, The discipline, making all the small right decisions over and over again, and just you know the mentality of always having to improve and get better, and always improving on yourself, investing in infrastructure, all of these things that are so important. And then always temperament, so temperament is really important not to get caught up in what everyone is saying and all the clickbait that is happening, you know, and so uh, being very even keeled. And so it's been it's been really wonderful. There's a lot of lessons in poker that will teach you and force you to make good decisions over and over again that will compound in the long run. I love it. Well, we're going to get more into investing. But before we do, we've got okay. to start talking about your travel. You've traveled all over the globe. You're a world <laughs> traveler, globe trotter. But even more over than that, you're about experiences. You're about living life. You're about having these moments and sharing experiences with people who are really important in your life. Mm-hmm. And I've had the privilege of attending one of your really cool experiential meetups. And your reputation had already preceded you because I had heard that the last one was incredible and that you brought in this world-class chef that cooked every meal and that the people that you brought together were just next level and the content that was discussed is great, but that it was it's done in more of an organic fashion, right? Right. And with experiences tied in. And so in Jackson Hole, that was a cool experience. And that chef that you brought in was just <laughs> yeah. unbelievable. The food so good. was unbelievable. I mean, 
food that you don't think should be paired together is the most delicious thing you've ever eaten. And then also like the toughest stuff to cook he did in mass for 20 people. Mm-hmm. Which is tough to do, which is yes. when, when you're scaling it that way. Yeah, he's he's such a brainiac and, and shout out to to Chef Daniel on that. He's he's so meticulous about every little detail that he does and he loves doing private events like that. So I'm very fortunate to have found him and to get him to there and he loves it. And the cool thing is in those settings too, which I really love, is he gets as much as we get from him. He's learned so much too. And he just was so thankful how everyone was so vulnerable and, and open. And and then you, I want to give you kudos to you because you're such a teacher. That was one thing that I really got from you, the essence of who you are. You are a natural teacher and a mentor to everybody. And I really, really respect that. That was an awesome, awesome trip. Well, thank you. Yeah, I love to teach. And when you have a room full of eager learners and eager people to grow. And these are people that are very successful. They don't have to. They could check out, but they don't. They're still in the game. And it, and it is a game. It's not a grind. It's a game. And that is just some of the most fun people. I mean, this is why I loved Lifestyle Investor Mastermind so much is because it just brings the greatest people together. And you create depth in relationship when you can be open and vulnerable and real. Like that authenticity is palpable. It really is. That is it's such, a, such a quality that I know, at least in my life, and let me speak for myself, that I look for. I mean, and I don't know where that stemmed from, but it just bothers me so much when you can tell that somebody's being fake. And it's just, I just want to be, at the end of the day, it's all about human connection. That's, you know, just a primary reason for all of us. And these trips that you were on with 20 other guys who are successful, who are all super authentic and let their guards down and talking about real things that we think about and coming together as a tribe is just insane. And this is also why I love being a lifestyle investor and any group where you can come together and have a commonality, but grow from each other. And that's what community is all about. And and now this is the modern day community. This is the modern day tribes that we had in the past of these communities like these. So I think it's wonderful. Yeah. Back in the day, And it's funny to say that now, because I remember my parents saying that, but (laughs) truly back in the day, you didn't get to choose your community the way that you do today. You had a family, people didn't move the way that they move today. They didn't travel the way that they travel. Like where you grew up had a very big impact on who you are, who your surroundings, like what and who were in your surroundings, right? Today, you can pick whatever community you want. Yep. You can be intentional and create your own community, or you can join many of the various communities out there that attract all kinds of incredible people. But that choice for peer group and mentorship is yours. And that's a powerful thing that we've got going right now in this day and age. It's so true. One of my favorite quotes of all time is that environment is stronger than willpower until willpower is stronger than environment. And the great thing about that is now we can choose our environment as we get connected with the internet, social media, and these groups. You can choose your environment so you can really choose who you're going to model and you're going to pick up subconscious cues from. And so that's the wonderful things like Lifestyle Investor. And that's the reason why I joined. I wanted to elevate myself and to be in it. So this is why I also do those masterminds and bring men that inspire me to be like. So even though I we we throw it, I throw it with with two other guys. It's like I get way more than anyone thinks out of those. 
So, well, and that's the it's part of the fun of of curating and facilitating because, like you, I show up to all the things that we do, and yeah, I may have put it all together. I know what's going to happen. I know who's speaking. But I'm sitting down as a student, like anyone else, getting right. my notepad out, ready to take notes. And I love it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's so cool. So what what would you say are one or two of the bigger takeaways you've had since joining the Lifestyle Investor Mastermind? For me, it's always a combination of what's the ethos and what can I be inspired by? And really, that's really just the most beautiful thing. I think I've never been in a group previously where everyone is so elevated on everything they're doing and the way they're speaking on a top level and what to look for, right? I think the low-hanging fruit is learning about all kinds of different investments and getting into the questions, getting to, into that, because I'm, I'm really good at real estate. And in my past, when I first started making money, I invested in some businesses. You know, I'll be the first one to say the track record there was not so great. And learning all that, that is a skill I definitely wanted. But it's about being inspired about what others are doing and just picking up on what is that person doing? How is that person thinking? And it's not just one thing. It's an elevation that takes me to a different level of knowing what's possible. And that's what really inspires me because every conversation is so elevated. And that's what I love. That's where I'm headed. That's where I'm working towards and taking my game in all facets of my life. And that was one thing that was really important to me too, is everyone is so willing to help. Everyone I've connected with also, and everyone's just so willing to give information and teach others. And that stems from the top. And so it's more of an osmosis. It's more of a level up than anything. I love it. Yeah. And that's so important to me. One of the the fatal flaws of anyone showing up trying to get in is ego or pride or something where they are better than someone else, because that is an automatic no. You can't get in. I don't care how much money you have. I don't care how successful you are. That doesn't work well in a group setting. So I like to guard and protect against that. So let's let's talk a little bit about building your real estate empire. So you transitioned. Your first deal was mm-hmm. a lackluster $3,000, <laughs> but yeah. it was a positive return. It was fun. You got the itch. You're ready for your next deal. You know that now that you've gone through one iteration of the whole process, you know that there's more upside to be had, and there's also volume to be had. Mm -hmm. So what did that look like as you built out your real estate portfolio? Yeah, it's it's funny. Actually, at that time, I got really serious with my my now wife. And so she's like, hey, listen, uh, I don't want to date a poker player. I was like, it's fine. (laughs) I'm transitioning. But she's like, I don't know. Uh, You have to get a real job, essentially. So I ended up getting a valet job just to prove to her that I'm serious about the relationship. And so every month I was like, babe, can I, how do you feel now? And after eight months, she was like, okay, you can go ahead. Like you make more of, you know, poker and go do your real estate thing. And so that, that was really fun, but it really, I got the itch. So I was buying property sight unseen at the auctions. And so after the first one, I said, okay, I didn't lose money. My numbers were right. There were some things that I could have done better. I could have upgraded this instead of that. I could have had a better negotiation with this person. And so but that's the beautiful thing about anything, right? You, you, you have to do it. You have to get your data points and be like, what could I do better next time? How can I optimize this? And then it was just, I took the, that money, bought another property. I was playing poker at the same time, take any money that I want to poker. And then, then it just started to slowly snowball. And I was doing a lot of flips in Las Vegas 
for the next three years, transitioned into uh, Los Angeles, sorry, for about four years, transitioned to Los Angeles. I flipped one home here and essentially put all my money into that one home because obviously the home prices are here are, are, are so much more. And I felt like such a small fish in a big pond. But going back to my poker teachings, I would always chase the easier games, right? I never tried to play tournaments. I never tried to play with the best players. I just wanted to make money. I never wanted to get in front of the camera or nothing like that. So I just decided, hey, there's less competition in land up construction in this area that I've identified. And I started to go buy up land in this area and learn on how to develop land on hillside luxury homes north of downtown which is, seems like a big jump. But I, again, I had a lot of mentors. I made sure people checked my math. And again, just like the same thing, I had to learn by just doing it, right? That's just me. But I'm always secure in my numbers. And so I did the first one, made really good money. And then I just started developing and buying all the land, knew it was a path of progression. I did that for about five years. And then as my wife and I started getting really serious about having children, I just said, hey, this has to change. The net worth game compared to the passive income is just so lopsided. And if I want to be a father who has time for my children, and if I wanted to be at a stay-at-home father, I could be. And so I, then I started to really get the bug for that. And I, I went and bought essentially a 74 unit. Quickly thereafter, I bought a 180 unit. And then I started to realize, hey, cap rates are compressed. There's so much competition. I'm beating my head here. I don't know how investors are liking these numbers. I just don't get it. And so if I'm really a cash flow investor, what else gives me good cash flows? And luckily, I had partners who had bought mobile home parks before, had managed a massive portfolio in their W-2, and we all bought a mobile home park together. And after we bought that first mobile home park, I looked at it as a multifamily operator. I said, we're buying on top of market. I don't get it. They just said, trust us. We've done this before many, many times. That one property brought in bigger cash flows, more equity than all my apartment complexes that I bought. And I bought my apartment complexes out of steel, in my opinion. And I just said, oh, if I'm having this stigma and other people are thinking the same way I am, there is a, a play here. And then so I just dove in really deep and uh, me and my partners kept buying as many as we could. We built out a deal flow and it just quickly took off and we got more and more investors. We syndicated four deals. Then we created a fund and now we're just, we're at now and we're at 14 and four, uh, 1450 lots and units at this point where we're strictly mobile home parks. So it's really taken off in the last two years, which is really wonderful, but I have amazing partners to help out and we really are attacking this sector very vigorously. And that's kind of the evolution of the real estate game. I love it. And by the way, it's great. Your aha moment was similar to mine because mm -hmm. my friend said, Hey, Justin, do you want to go to a mobile home park boot camp with me? I'm going to sell all my single family homes. This is way too much work. I'm going to get into the mobile home park game. Mm -hmm. And I was like, no way. That sounds horrible. <laughs> right? Like it's because the, the stigma yeah. was there. And, and the more you learn it, the more you understand it, you realize the stigma is actually not accurate. There are instances where it can be, but it's of that's like the exception to the rule. And I remember my first park, uh, and really, it was vicariously through my friend. I remember his first park. I was like, oh, my goodness. 
that is unbelievable right. cash flow, right? Uh-huh. And so the first park, it's like, oh, okay, I'm no longer going to be so picky or have these preconceived notions. Mm-hmm. Like this is a legit play. This is a legit asset class. And I got into parks not quite two decades ago, but early on when people thought I was crazy. I mean, truly crazy. Wow. Yeah. And I just love now that the Blackstones of the world, the Brookfields of the world, the Carlisle groups, yep. like all the big private equity shops, they're buying them. They mm-hmm. want them. And so it's interesting to see. It's such a wonderful asset. It really is. It is. So what are some other things that you see? Like why why did you pivot exclusively to this? Was I mean, I, I know all of it. I, I want to help our listeners and, and those watching kind of learn. Yeah, I think really it, it comes down to what is your investor profile? What are you looking for? And what are you trying to achieve? And so first thing was first. For me, it was just cash flow. I love higher cash flow properties. I think it's safer. I enjoy that. And that's what I was trying to build. Secondly, the depreciation. Right. And to be able to write that off against my income, comparatively speaking to other real estate investing, was just an incredible bonus. And so then that became a second no brainer. Because it's accelerated over 15 years as opposed to double that for most real estate. And Absolutely. you can accelerate it even faster than that with bonus depreciation, cost segregation, all that. Yep. 100%. And I live in California. So the more I could write off, you know, the better. <laughs> and then thirdly, the big aha moment for me was I like stability. I want to know what's coming in every single month and then learning the the essence of the non-transitory nature of mobile home parks was an absolute no-brainer for me, coupled with the fact that I'm always investing for 10 years from now. And in my opinion, and just take it for one man's opinion, it is the only sector of real estate where the demand is increasing and the supply is dwindling. In no other sector, I see that happening whatsoever. 100%. And so all of these reasons, just it was just like no-brainer, no-brainer, no-brainer. And I like to invest in no-brainers. And so it was a very easy transition. And now this is why I'm all in. This is why I have a lot of uh, tenacity of what I'm attacking. Because this is I'm still buying from mom and pops. You don't get that anywhere else except maybe some self-storage. I'll, I'll give that sector. And it's a great sector as well. But everywhere else typically is not mom and pop sellers anymore. That's right. Least consolidated asset class out there, the least defaulted asset class. A lot of people don't know that. A lot of banks don't even know that. Like I Mm -hmm. educate banks all the time to let them know, hey, by the way, you probably want to lend on this because this asset class has the lowest default rate of all real estate. Yes, it does. That's just not commonly known. And and I love the supply demand kind of trade-off or equilibrium. You've, You've got 44,000 mobile home parks in the United States, Mm -hmm. about 100 get redeveloped every year, way less get developed because Mm -hmm. cities don't want it, right? So it's hard to get the zoning. So it's, it's hard, it's expensive, it's very rare. In some pockets and instances, you can do it with with favorable, I guess, government's legislation around zoning. But as a general rule, you're losing about 100 parks a year to mm-hmm. repurposed land or repurposed development. But the cost of housing is going up and the available housing is less. And this is like the most affordable housing in 
affordable housing. A hundred percent. There is no other product like it. One other thing I'd like to touch on is that it's because it has a stigma on it and because it has, it's not a harder barrier of entry, but because there is a perceived harder barrier of entry, less and less players are going to get to it. And I like that. I like where there's less competition. And sometimes, you know, the parks are a lot of work when you first buy them. I'm not going to sugarcoat that. Everything I do is not sexy. It's not this luxury A class. I'm going to do this and remodeling. No, I'm just going to go and do the grunt work. But because of that, we're going to get rewarded more on the back end. And so this that's another reason why I love it, of the psychological factor of most people don't want to do that work and the stigmas. And so anytime now I hear that there's a stigma around anything, it just it pops my ears up. Oh, well, let me go dig into that and see if there's a business model there. Yeah, totally. And it's interesting, like when you think about the the level of consolidation, like in uh, multifamily and apartment complexes, it's about 90% institutionalized. So you've got like yes, 10% mom and pop, right? And it's a flip flop in mobile home parks. It's about 10% institutionalized. So even with the huge portfolios, the greats in the business, I think of the late Sam Zell, who just passed away this past week. And what a positive impact and influence he's had on so many. And for me, I mean, as a as a young kid from Chicago, watching what he did, learning what he did, watching him. And by the way, I had uh, this incredible experience where I got to hang out with him and spend time with him earlier this year, uh, which was really cool. And just to kind of pick his brain and hear how he says. And by the way, if you don't know Sam Zell, Sam Zell, not only is one of the great pioneers of the mobile home park space, like mobile home parks and and investing in mobile home parks and lending on mobile home parks wouldn't be what it is today without him. Um, But he was not only the number one uh, largest owner of mobile home parks, he was the number one largest owner of uh, commercial real estate and the number one largest owner of apartment complexes. So most people are never going to be number one in this. He was the largest in three separate asset classes. Most would consider him the greatest real estate investor of all time. And the cool thing about him is he said um, his the, the number one investment that he ever made, his greatest investment, the best return, the most um, pivotal investment he ever made was in 1982 when he bought his first mobile home park. The return on that, how amazing that was, uh, and then his recognition that this is something he wanted to go into, uh, started building a portfolio for the next 10 years, went public 10 years later, and that became the largest mobile home park holding out there. ELS is uh, publicly traded. Mm -hmm. It's a REIT. And he has given his investors a 17% net IRR across the entire life of his investment. That's incredible. Right? 40 years. That's incredible. I love thinking about a young Sam Zell buying his first mobile home park while everyone else probably thought he was crazy. Because think about the stigma back then about it and and, and the least amount of information. And it's just about doing your due diligence and having conviction in what you're seeing and to, you know, to, to shut out the naysayers, right? And so, and because of it, he was able to consolidate and become the biggest mobile home park owner uh, to date. So it's it's pretty incredible. And by the way, for some people that think that mobile home parks are all trashy, go check out some of Sam Zell's parks. Those are some of the nicest places. Like I, I would imagine most people would want to live in half of the 
properties he has. Like we're talking gated community mobile home parks. We're talking about mobile home parks. He, he basically only bought on the coast. So each each side, right? These are gorgeous. These are overlooking the ocean. These are, you know, just like super high class luxury living in, in many oh, cases. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's really a, a fascinating thing. Um, just even the different levels, just just like there is class A, B, C in everything, you know, and, mm-hmm. and all almost all types of real estate. So question for you here. You started in syndications uh, yes. and then you pivoted to a fund and, and maybe you still do syndications one off here and there if they're not the right fit for the fund. What is the, as you see it, what's the pro and the con of each? Like why syndicate versus do a fund? I mean, both of them. And just so everyone knows, like if, if you're doing a deal or maybe a small portfolio and you're raising for just that, that would be an example of a syndication, right? So you've got a one, one pack, a two pack, a three pack portfolio. Maybe you're just syndicating for that and you're raising money for that specifically versus a fund. You're going to put in 10, 15, 20, 30, 50 properties, depending on goals and whatnot. So why one versus the other? Yeah, I think for us, it was really... So as we were doing our syndication deals, I think it was twofold. Uh, I'll tell you on my business side and then the investor side. On the business side, because we operate kind of essentially in a niche within the mobile home park space, we go after smaller parks, 30 to 90 unit, which is typically underneath institutional money uh, and a little bit above most mom and pop buyers who want to come in. And but there's still about that three to eight million dollar range on average is that five million dollar range. So we what we found after our fourth syndication is that it was difficult to keep coming back to the same investors for the smaller deals over and over again. And secondly, investors do like diversification, right? And we do we're okay with smaller markets. And when I say smaller markets, I mean fifty thousand population and over, anchored by good jobs. But really, what we found is in the fund model we can put in 10 different parks. And so that investors can now be diversified between all of the parks as well too. And with the capital raise, we don't have to keep coming back to the same investor over and over and over again. So it really helps the investor because of the diversification, because of the markets that we're in. Typically, most people that come into this space, at least that I found, again, not everyone has a ton of education on mobile home parks. So then I'm doing a lot of education. I'm letting them know that this is not an apartment complex. People don't move out of their homes. In fact, you know, and I'm sure you've heard of this, is that 50% of all mobile home park tenants have lived in that same park or in the same home for 14 years or above. So it's very non-transitory. So we're okay with finding secondary and tertiary markets that we buy. But again, that's just an educational piece that I tell my investors. So, And it's really more, on the fund level, it's very more operator dependent, right? You know, I tell people that if you're going to invest in a syndication, uh, you're going to go look at the property at the property level, and the operator needs to do a good job. On the fun level, you're really just trusting the operator. You got to make sure who they are. You really got to vet them. You really got to make sure that they're going to do good because now they have a bigger job at hand and they got to make sure that they can execute on a bigger level, right? So uh, there's more trust that has to go into that operator on the fun level. But I know for a fact that all my investors like to be diversified. They really enjoy that aspect of the fund, especially with the properties that we're buying. Yeah, there are pros and cons of each for sure. And from a yep. risk standpoint, I mean, funds win all day, every day, because you can have several go bad, but you have the majority that go well, and it still produces a positive return overall. Yep. Question for you on this, and I know what you do, because when you have a fund, 
Um, you then have the question, okay, are we going to outsource operations to a third party or are we going to in-house operations and how can we make sure that we build that uh, to be an effective team? Because that's a whole different skill set than the acquisition side of it, than the sell side of it, than the pro forma side of it, right? Like it's, Mm -hmm. it is a whole different skill set. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on maybe why one over the other. And I know you've chosen to go in-house and I I generally prefer that. Yeah. You know, at the end of the day, um, I guess the, the biggest thing is that we just like full control, right? There is never a property manager that is going to be good as the owners themselves are going to care about the properties themselves. And so we want full control of our properties. We want to be in there. We want to know every single piece of information that's coming our way. It's about full control of the properties. And we don't think that anyone's going to be able to do a better job than us. Luckily, I have a partner who's been doing this for the past 10 years. He's incredible. He's managed over an 8,000 lot portfolio before. So he really is on top of his game. And we've really built out a team underneath him for that. But at the end of the day, Every property management company that we've worked with, like in my apartment complexes, we have to micromanage them to really do the things that they know that they should be doing, but then they have other properties or they're never going to do a great job like we would do it. So it's a different game because then you have to really be get good at uh, cohesive energy within the company. You have to really build out the infrastructure as you do. And then as you're growing, you know, it's it's really wonderful when you acquire properties but you always have to be making sure that you have enough, you know, human capital and the infrastructure to be able to support everything. So then it's also about not only about acquiring good properties and that pipeline and acquiring homes and the property management, but it's also making sure you're building a business and to make sure that you're ahead of the game as well, which it becomes a different game. And so every new property comes on. We we are scaling our, our company and we are hiring. We do have a roadmap. But everything's a challenge, and that's what's so beautiful about business is that challenges present itself, and you and you figure out the best solution to to overcome that hurdle. And so that's what we're doing, and we're always going to be in house, comparatively speaking, to somebody else. So that was a really long winded answer, just to say we want full control. We know how good we are, and that's that's essentially uh, an area that I believe we are experts in, and we shine in that area. And this is really important. Operations is one of the things that I scrutinize to the nth degree when I'm investing as an LP into someone's syndication or fund. I want to know that the team has experience, that the team can get this done, that the team can manage across multiple locations, different sizes. And and to me, this is a sticking point where a lot of syndicators go bad and a lot of funds go bad is they miss this piece. They mess this piece up. And if you mess this piece up, you mess up the returns. (laughs) Yeah, it's true. It's like a football team. You just, you have to execute and you have to do your job and you have to be prepared for what's happening. Like I said, you know, the, the sexy thing is to acquire and to keep taking things down and getting the unit count out. But one thing that we keep uh, implementing into our culture is that we're going to grow slowly. We're going to buy the right properties. We're not just going to, and we, and we incentivize ourselves that way. We're not, you know, have a ton of fees. And so I'm consistently always asking my partner and every single person on our team, what do you need help in? Are you overloaded? Cause we know we're going to grow and to always get ahead of that. 
I love it. Well, yeah. I appreciate you uh, hooking up lifestyle investors and and giving us a chance, you know, our, our larger community to learn about you, learn about what you're doing, learn more about mobile home parks. And for the mastermind community itself, just uh, the opportunity to get first look and first access and really just have the opportunity to see under the hood and, and be kind of first movers on this new fund. So I'd love to have you share where people can learn more about you and more about what you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. You can go to my website at evocapital.net. You can also just email me at pasha at evocapital.net. I will always answer to everybody. One of the things that I really take pride in is just education, meeting all of my investors one-to-one and not having you just become a funnel system. And so that is just something I take a lot of pride in. I always want to do right by my investors all the time. I just want to be treated the way I would want to be treated if I gave my money to somebody. So yeah, just come find me. Well, I love it. That's not always the way it works. Nope. <laughs> so it's it's uh, refreshing when people actually want to forward face. Absolutely. And instead of just hide you know, behind some other people. So awesome stuff. I love ending my podcast every week with a question, a hopefully a thought-provoking question for our audience. So those of you that are listening, those of you that are watching, my question for you is this. What is one step you can take today Something that you learned today from Pasha, something tangible that you can take to move forward and to conquer the milestone of financial freedom and financial security in living life on your terms. You can live life on default or you can live life by design. And I challenge you to pick something and let us know what that something is. What's the standout today that you can take actionable steps moving forward on? Thanks so much. And we'll catch you next week. Thanks for listening to the Lifestyle Investor Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe so future episodes are automatically downloaded directly to your device. You can also leave an honest rating and review over on iTunes. Not only do I read every single one, but it also helps me understand what content matters the most to our audience. And if you can think of one or two people who would benefit from this episode, would you mind sharing it with them right now? Who knows? Maybe they'll buy you something nice when they make their first million. If you would like access to today's show notes, including links to all resources mentioned, visit www.lifestyleinvestor.com. Thanks again for listening, and I'll catch you next week for another episode of The Lifestyle Investor. This podcast is being made available exclusively to financially sophisticated, high net worth individuals capable of evaluating the merits and risks of investments. The material presented in this podcast is not intended to be investment advice or to recommend the purchase or sale of any security, nor is it intended to be legal, accounting, or tax advice. You should consult with your legal, tax, or financial advisor in connection with any material discussed on this podcast. Past performance is not indicative nor a guarantee of future results. Certain materials discussed on this podcast may have been prepared by third parties, which have been obtained from sources that we believe to be accurate and current. However, we make no representation or warranty as to the accuracy, completeness, or currency of such materials.